Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Henry Kissinger, the controversial former U.S. National Security Advisor and Secretary of State, passed away on Wednesday, aged 100. He was both celebrated and reviled, receiving the Nobel Peace Prize while being roundly condemned by many as a war criminal. The regions and conflicts that Kissinger intervened in, leaving a dark legacy, include Cyprus, where the former Secretary of State normalized U.S. appeasement of Turkey almost a half-century ago when he secretly backed Turkey's invasion of the island. Michael Rubin, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute and former Pentagon official, joins me to discuss Kissinger's legacy, particularly in the Eastern Mediterranean, and look at the lessons it holds for policymakers today. Michael, great having you back on The Greek Current. Hey, thanks for having me, Thanos. Michael, Henry Kissinger has been hailed as perhaps one of the most impactful foreign policy figures of the last century. Can we say with certainty that, for better or worse, Kissinger changed the world? Well, I would argue that he has been one of the most consequential leaders uh, in American diplomacy. But by the same standard, Genghis Khan was one of the most consequential leaders in Mongolia. And now Genghis Khan, of course, laid millions of people to slaughter. Unfortunately, Henry Kissinger was little different. So being consequential and being a force for good can be two very different things. In the past, you've written that, you know, Kissinger's reputation is largely inflated. Do you still believe that to be the case today? Well, I absolutely do. I mean, Kissinger's best promoter was Henry Kissinger himself, and he got away with it. Look, the man knew how to write. He knew how to build up a facade around himself. He was the first Secretary of State who really came from an academic background, and he was able to cloak himself in that mantle of academic wisdom. But behind the scenes, when you actually look region by region, what he actually did. I mean, he was the master of short-termism. And no matter what he touched, he tended to screw over allies for the sake of short-term gains that has left the world a much worse place today. And in my career, as a diplomatic historian and as a policymaker, I've seen this time and time again when I delve into the sources, whether, for example, it's South Asia or whether it's the Eastern Mediterranean. I want to bring us to the Eastern Mediterranean. Kissinger's often remembered for his role in the Vietnam War, but you've argued that his decisions around Cyprus in 1974 have greater consequences today than those surrounding Vietnam. Why do you think that? Well, without a doubt. I mean, the Vietnam War is over, and even though the United States lost the war, and we needn't have lost the war, that was a political decision, the fact of the matter is that Vietnam today has realigned itself much more towards the United States. Now, when it comes to the Eastern Mediterranean, for very real politic reasons, for very immoral reasons, Kissinger very much allowed Turkey to get away with murder. And for the compromises he made for short-term Cold War gains, theoretical gains given Turkey's population size of its army, he has left the region much less stable today, as, and we see this with the legacy of Cypriot occupation. Maybe Cyprus was considered a backwater in Henry Kissinger's mind 50 years ago, but today it's going to be the new Persian Gulf. It's going to be the center of international energy. And because of that, we're going to be dealing with the legacy of Kissinger's immoral compromises for some time to come. Kissinger, as you've argued, Michael, is essentially the architect 
of the current school of thought in Washington, which we've highlighted on this podcast many times, and that's, you know, appeasing Turkey. Does that all begin with the legacy of 1974 and the Cyprus invasion? Well, I very much think it does. Look, people who are partial to Turkey, even today, will argue, you know, Turkey had no choice but to invade because of the junta in Greece and because they were planning to annex Cyprus. But within a week of that invasion, the junta had fallen. What most people in Washington forget is that when Turkey invaded, Turkey invaded a second time during the ceasefire talks when they had occupied perhaps 3% of the country and that they increased that in the second invasion to more than one-third the country. That's when most of the ethnic cleansing went on. That's what Henry Kissinger could have stopped, but he chose not to for no good reason. Given his outsized influence over the years, how do you see his legacy continuing to impact State Department decisions? Well, unfortunately, Kissinger personified that, that culture within the State Department in which somehow compromising moral principles is seen as sophisticated. Appeasing dictators is somehow seen as sophisticated. Throwing democracies under the bus is somehow seen as sophisticated. So that's problem number one. Another problem which many people don't realize can be traced to Kissinger is this notion that foreign service officers should rotate every two years. And the reason why this becomes a problem is because in two years, you don't have time to master the language. You don't have time to master the nuance. In effect, you get handed contacts from your predecessor without ever understanding the complexities of the country yourself. And so Kissinger very much degraded the expertise of the Foreign Service. I think that really is a problem that we're going to be facing. And it's a problem we see in the Eastern Mediterranean because many of the Foreign Service officers who work in Cyprus, and especially in Turkey, don't understand the history. Their sense of history is maybe two or three years long. They don't understand what's gone on for the last 50 years that everyone knows within the region. Everyone else understands these nuances. Aside from appeasing Turkey, you've written that Kissinger also has a long history of appeasing dictatorships, whether as Secretary of State or after his tenure as Secretary of State. You know, what's his record with other authoritarian countries like China and Russia, for example, here? Well, I mean, first of all, you've got to separate Henry Kissinger, and you did this in your question, Thanos, between Secretary of State and after Secretary of State. And in his private sector career, it was in many ways even more problematic. To this day, we don't know the full client list of Kissinger Associates. And so when Henry Kissinger was using his title over the last couple decades as a former National Security Advisor, as a Nobel Laureate, as a former Secretary of State, we don't know whether that was motivated by a pure sense of diplomacy or whether he had a financial incentive in order to argue, for example, for the lifting of sanctions on Iran, something which has enabled greater terrorism, or the lifting of sanctions um, for reversing course on China, which has allowed China's military boom, for throwing India under the bus to the benefit of Pakistan. There are so many problematic areas to this man's legacy. You know, I don't think, first of all, I'm glad he lived to 100 so he could see basically the epitaphs before he passed away. He could understand the assessment of history with regard to his compromises. He must have understood that. At the same time, I think it's going to get much worse now that 
people aren't going to be deferential to his mystique, and they're simply going to look at the documents, look at the evidence to see what this man did. As we reflect on this complicated, to put it diplomatically, legacy, what should the takeaway be for policymakers in Washington today as they look to regions of the world that were touched by Kissinger's policies, like the East Med? Okay, well, look, Donald, I'd say that the big picture here is that as tempting as it is, and perhaps as sophisticated as some professional diplomats might believe, compromising moral principles can be. We see through Kissinger's legacy, through his decisions, that in the long term, it doesn't work. The United States should stand with democracies. It should stand with democracies like Cyprus and Greece against dictatorships like Turkey. And if we don't, if we compromise for the short term, we are undermining our interests for decades more to come. That should be the legacy, the lessons which are drawn from the Kissinger experience. Michael, always great chatting with you. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. In other news, a few days before his arrival in Athens on December 7th, Turkish President Erdogan referred to a new page that will open in relations between the two countries. For its part, Athens sees December 7th as another opportunity to maintain the positive climate of the past 10 months and welcomed Erdogan's statements. It is, however, under no illusions about the possibility of progress in the important bilateral disputes, but believes that broadening the positive agenda is possible. Nonetheless, Athens is willing to open up the difficult issues, maintaining its constant position to refer disputes over the continental shelf and the exclusive economic zone to The Hague. Finally, a top U.S. official said Washington was profoundly concerned about Turkey's role in facilitating Hamas's access to international finance, underscoring how the war in Gaza is fueling rising tension between the NATO allies. At a press briefing in Istanbul on Thursday, Brian Nelson, the U.S. Treasury's Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, said we are profoundly concerned about Hamas's ability to continue to fundraise or find financial support for its operations for potential future terrorist attacks here in Turkey. The U.S. last month imposed sanctions on three individuals it said were Turkey-based Hamas operatives who helped run the militant group's investment network. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.